listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Anybody else love this fall weather? Man, it's so nice. I feel like a new person today. I can't stand the heat. I live in the wrong state. Um, a couple ways that you can be connected uh, with us even in the coming weeks, I want you to know about this. Uh, one is that we would encourage you to be faithfully giving uh, of your resources, namely that of money. Uh, it takes a, a lot of resources, a lot of money for us to function well. So I want to, there are three opportunities. One is on the website at southpoint.org. You can text any amount to 84321, and that will connect you to that same giving portal. You can give in person out here in the atrium uh, as well at the giving box. And I just want to celebrate for a moment the fact that so far we had a finance team meeting a couple weeks ago, and God has faithfully provided for our church through your resources. And so thank you. If you are giving regularly, faithfully, thank you so much. One of the opportunities that we've had, uh, even this year, is to bring Keith on full-time staff. And so you're, you've been seeing him float around a little more here in McDonough. He's primarily in Locust Grove with his family, uh, but he's here a little more um, week to week. And so thank you for giving so much. He's had a huge impact in my life, and I know many here he's had an impact in your life as well. Uh, and so we just have uh, a lot of plans for the rest of the year, but also for next year. And so uh, it's really helpful if you would um, plan to make that a priority for the rest of the year and looking at 2023, which is crazy that it's already almost the end of the year. Anyway, uh, next we have a missions night. Our resources also go to overseas, like he's just prayed for. We support missionaries uh, locally uh, in North America, but also across the world. And so you get to hear from Mark Lewis, who is currently in Knoxville, Tennessee, right there on the uh, campus of the University of Tennessee. And so October 2nd, that's a Sunday night from 6.30, sorry, from 6 to 7.30, uh, we'll be having a missions night. We'll have some booths set up out here in the atrium. Mark will be speaking to us. And so make plans to be here that night. It's for all of your family. We wanted to make sure there's a time uh, for us to gather, to get together with folks from Locust Grove and from McDonough. But also, it's not too late for your kids to get back home and in bed, those kinds of things. So that's October 2nd. Put that on your calendar. Uh, and then the last thing is, in the middle of October, we have a spiritual conversations workshop. And that's happening October 14th and 15th. That's happening right here. If you were part of that back in May, you know how transformative it was. Um, again, this is one of the things that Keith has been helping us to focus on this year. You can register for that uh, free of charge on the website, southpoint.org. Uh, that child care is provided, food is provided. That's a Friday night and a Saturday for most of the day. If you were here the first one, make plans to attend again. I'll be here. I hope the other folks at my table will be here. Scott, you going to be here? Okay, I'll be praying about that um, because it was awesome last time. I'm just kidding. He, he learned way more. He's much, uh, IQ is much higher than mine. He picked it up way faster than I did. I'll be here again so I can be on his level by the end of that one. And then at the beginning of next year, we're going to have session number two or step two in that process. So this is kind of the first step in understanding spiritual conversations. Next year, we're going to have step two, January, February. We're working on some dates for you on that one. But I would encourage you, go ahead and make plans. If you have something on that weekend, I don't know who Georgia is playing, it's okay. You can always record it, watch it later. You can put your AirPods in and stream it right here while you're at one of the tables. That's okay. Like nobody's just uh, wear a hat or something. They're not going to know. But I would say whatever you got to do to make sure you can be here on the 14th and 15th, you and your spouse, uh, somebody in your family, it'd be great. It's going to be a wonderful time. If you're new here to South Point, grab a Connect card. They're in the seat in front of you. It looks like this. Uh, if you don't want to do it in person, you can scan the QR code. It takes you to the same place. A little bit of information on the back. Fill that out. We'll reach out to you this week. Just a way of saying thanks to you. You can take this card to the Next Steps table there in the atrium. Uh, we have a gift for you. Just a way to say thanks for joining us for worship this morning. You had a lot of options of places to go. You're here with us. So um, thank you for joining our family as we celebrate what the Father has done in and through and among us. Like I mentioned, today is family worship. Uh, and so it looks a little bit different. Have a lot of things going on. Uh, but what I like to do at the beginning of the sermon is read a story to our kids. And so if you're an elementary age kid, come on down. I'm going to read a story to you all this morning. It comes from the biggest story Bible 
storybook. Uh, and so you can pick one of these up on Amazon. We've given some of these away. Uh, I've had them for purchase at different points. But uh, our family is going through this. And so this is actually coming from Daniel chapter 3. Today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. We're not going to get to this story for a couple more weeks. But I wanted to go ahead and give us a, a, a foretaste of what we're going to be going through. Y'all ready? Cool. Y'all can listen in. I'm going to talk to them. Daniel chapter 3. It's called the fiery furnace. Ooh. You've heard this? Okay. You have? Well, y'all can read it to me. You want to read it? Okay. That was, I was afraid he was going to say yes. <laughs> when the Israelites were exiles in Babylon, they had to figure out how to serve God as strangers in a strange land. Back in Judah, they had their own king, their own religion, and their own rules. Now they had to figure out how to be faithful to God while still being friendly in their new home. Sometimes living as an exile was hard, but not too complicated. The king might give them freedom to worship their own God in their own way, or he might appreciate the Israelites for their hard work. The Jews could get along with the Babylonians as long as the Babylonians didn't mind the Jews believing and acting like Jews. But that wasn't always the case. Sometimes serving God and serving the Babylonians just didn't go together. And when that happened, there was only one thing to do. Put God first. One time, King Nebuchadnezzar, y'all say Nebuchadnezzar. That's a fun one. He made an image of gold almost 100 feet high and commanded everyone to worship the image, and everyone included the Jews. Nebuchadnezzar was asking them to break a whole bunch of the Ten Commandments. Actually, he wasn't asking anyone the king issued a decree that whoever refused to worship the image would be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, what would you do? You believe in God? Good. Good. Maybe bow down on one knee, but not really mean it in your heart. Maybe go along with the king's command and ask God to forgive you later. The Jews were in a tough situation. But the right thing is the right thing. There were three Jews who worked for the king who refused to bow to the golden image. Their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But you might know them by their Babylonian names. Anybody know what their Babylonian names were? Meshach, Abednego, Yep, that's good. That's good parenting right there. Our God can save us from the fire, they said. But even if he doesn't, we will not worship your gods or bow down to the golden image. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter, and he had the men thrown into the flames. But when the king looked in the furnace, he didn't see three men burning up. In fact, he didn't see three men at all, but he saw four. And the fourth one was really shiny. So the king called them out and blessed the God who sent his angel to save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then he promoted them to even greater authority in Babylon. We'd like to think that nothing bad will happen to us if we do the right thing, except we know that's not the way things always work. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know what God would do, but they knew right from wrong. There is only one God who deserves to be worshipped and only one king whose commands are always true. And when the way of the world opposes the way of God, we ought to know which way to go. The, the end. All right, good job. Y'all go back and sit with your folks. Thank y'all. So we can pick up here in Daniel chapter 2. In chapter 1, we saw that Daniel is an exile, that he has already become a eunuch. He's a vegetarian and he is serving an evil king. Pretty much as bad as it can get. Some of us are like, man, I've had a tough life. This is just chapter one. And that's where we are so far. It's crazy. Now, we, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago when we did the introduction to Daniel. But in chapter two, in verse number four, if you were paying attention, it says there that it, they said that they responded in Aramaic. We saw that in chapter, in chapter two, verse number four that they respond in Aramaic. And from chapter 2 and verse 4 all the way through chapter 7, we see that the author has transitioned from 
Hebrew as the primary language that the text was written in to Aramaic. And then at the end of chapter 7, we're going to transition back into Hebrew. And the reason for that is because it's easy for us to live for God when life is easy. When we are in our hometown, when we are surrounded, like we just read in the Bible story, surrounded by fellow believers, fellow Jews, it's easy for us to live for Yahweh. But the question is not, can you follow God when you're in God's land, but can you follow God when you are in the midst of Babylon? The other big idea, the point, the reason that chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic is because we have to remember that the exile for the Jews is not this detour on the mission of God. The mission of God is going to the ends of the world by means of the Jewish people being in exile. Everybody got that? We good? So as we read this, this is not an addendum to the will of God. God's like, oh man, I can't wait to get back to chapter eight. As soon as we do that, my plans will be back on, on track. No, God is using his people while in exile, while this is written in Aramaic. That's it. That's all I want us to see. Uh, Psalm chapter 119, I want us to make this our prayer this morning as we open the word of God yet again and read. So if you would respond with these words on the screen, respond after me. Open my eyes that I might receive your wonderful word to me. Amen. Daniel chapter 2, we've already read the text all the way through, so I'm not going to do it again. But we pick up here in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. From this point on, can, can we just call him King Neb? Is everybody okay with that? We're not going to take a vote. We don't have any committees. We're not, um, we're not quite on that level, but we're just going to call him King Neb, okay? Otherwise, I'm going to spend half my time saying his name or we're going to lose to somebody to get to lunch. Okay, so King Neb, he has dreams in the first chapter. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Verse number three, sorry, verse two. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. So this would be like in our day, the president gets together his cabinet members those that he trusted the most. He says, I need y'all to tell me what my dream is. Verse number three, and the king said to them, I had a dream. Which king was this? Yeah, we know a different king that had a dream also, okay? But this king, King Neb, he said, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Now this is a recurring nightmare. This isn't just, man, I had this dream this one time. He's sleepless. It goes on day after day after day and it's terrible. He, he's in a really grumpy mood. For some of us, we're like, yeah, I've got this really bad dream. Sometimes, uh, anybody else have this dream? I know, I know you do. But you start going through your day, and you're dreaming through your day, and somebody says, hey, you forgot to put your clothes on. And you're like, I can't find my, you, you ever had that dream? You wake up, you're like, whew, I'm glad that's not true. And you go on with your day. That, this is a way worse dream. So we think that's a nightmare. This guy has a real bad night. He can't function. Now, uh, 19th century psychoanalysis would tell us that our dreams are trying to communicate something that's happening subconsciously inside of us. Now, and I think that's mostly true. I'm not arguing against that. But in this day and time, for King Neb, the way that dreams, they were important because they were telling of future events very often. And so if there was a recurring dream that he was having, it was something important that was about to happen in the future. And wouldn't it be nice if we knew it was going to happen in the future? And he absolutely did. And so the reason that he's terrified, he can't make sense of the dream. He doesn't know what's going on. Now, remember, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the greatest ruler in all of the world. At this point, historians would tell us that he's about 30 years old. He's on top of the world. He's got everything that he could ever want. He's about to hit his stride. 30 years old, he's just entering to some of the best years of his life. And here we see a man who can't sleep. I mean, this, this doesn't make sense. He's got everything that the world has to offer, and the dude is sleepless. I, I think also what's ironic is Nebuchadnezzar, he's named after the Babylonian god Nabu. Everybody say Nabu. He's named after him, which is the Babylonian god of wisdom. But here we see King Neb in the darkness of ignorance. And we see that he summons those who should be able to enlighten him. 
So let's see if it works. Verse number four, and this is where it switches to Aramaic. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. Now, some of you are like, yeah, they shouldn't have said live forever. But don't we do this with our boss sometimes? Like the last thing you want to do is tick them off first thing in the morning. Oh, good morning, old boss. <laughs> live forever, yes. We'll get to the bad news after 2 o'clock. So they're doing the same thing here. They said, tell us the dream, and then we will show you the, the interpretation. Now, in this day, it's kind of like in ours when you go to the Chinese restaurant. Uh, you get the fortune cookie, right, before, and you base your life off those. Well, it's the same kind of thing here. Things like the love of your life will soon walk through the door. And you're like, man, I can't wait. I've been living with her for all the, I've been living with him. I can't wait for the love of my life to be here. You know what I mean? And so you look for those things. It was similar to the magicians, to the sorcerers, uh, to the soothsayers here in this time. Be because the king or whoever had a dream, they would say, here's my dream. It's about cows or it's about waterfalls or it's about a new Tesla or whatever it is. And they would go through their book and they would say, well, let me figure out. Okay, so if you had a dream about a cow, well, here's actually what it means. It means, um, you know, wealth or it means McDonald's or like we're going to go through and figure out what these items in your dream. And so then they would say, okay, well, you had these things. So here is the, uh, in, here's the interpretation of your dream. And it was in, in incredibly broad terms. There was nothing really ever specific about it. Again, think about a Chinese fortune cookie. That's basically how they interpreted dreams. But first, it, even to get to that point where they could look in their book and say, well, let me interpret the dream for you. They had to know what the dream is. Notice what the king says there in verse number five. The king answered, he's too smart for this. He said to the Chaldeans, another name, by the way, for the Babylonians. He said, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Somebody said, how are you going to deal with that with kids in the room? Well, it's the Bible. Like, we're just going <laughs> to, I'm not going to, we don't have any pictures or anything graphic. But he says, uh, yeah, I need to know the dream and the interpretation. Notice in verse number six, if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards in great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. He says, do you want the good news first or the bad news? They're like, I guess the bad news. He says, well, the bad news is that I'm the big bad wolf and you're the three little pigs. He says, I'm coming to get you. If you don't tell me my dream and its interpretation, I'm going to huff and I'm going to puff and I'm going to take care of your house. I'm going to put it in ruins and then I'm going to tear you limb from limb. However, the good news is if you can tell me the dream and its interpretation, then you can have all of my wealth in the land, your choice. You would think they would at least make something up, but we get to verse number seven. They answered a second time and said, uh, we can't do that. Let the king tell the servants the dream, and then we will show his interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. He says, I know your tricks because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. We already talked about that. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. He's like, you're going to keep on with this mess. I don't, I'm not putting up with this. He says, therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. Difficult, yeah. So difficult, you're risking your life on it. And no one can show it to you, uh, to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not in flesh. I don't have time to go into John 1 there, draw some parallels, but you can do the math on that one. But we get to verse number 12. They're like, we can't do it. Verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Again, this wasn't just one dream. It was a recurring dream. That's why he's so furious. Notice here the brutality of the Babylonians. There, there are no human rights. There's no, hey, let me take this over here and see if we can make it into law, and then we're going to take No, he's just like, you know what? If you can't do what I'm telling you to do, then I'm taking your life from you. I'm done with you. You are useless to me. Also consider the fact that up to this point, 
the king's uh, means of coercion are not working here because he's tried power with them. He's tried to outmaneuver them intellectually. He's tried to promise them all the riches of the world, but it's still not working for these guys. It's not working. Can you imagine if you were his wife or some of his kids, can you imagine dealing with King Neb day after day? This dude's losing his mind. He's going crazy. So he threatens to kill these guys. Verse 13. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed, including, by the way, Daniel and his three friends. So they saw Daniel and his companions to kill them. Verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who'd gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. So at this point, all the wise men of Babylon are about to be slaughtered. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Why is he trying to wipe us all out so quickly? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. He told him the story. He was like, yeah, man, sorry. Should have, had, should have had interpretation. But notice verse 16. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now, we're going to pick up there next week. I want us to look at a few things, though, this morning. I, so many times, and if you're uh, probably a generation older than me or maybe my generation a little bit older, you remember the song that we sang in VBS. It was called Dare to Be a Daniel. Anybody remember that? You can probably YouTube it or something. Maybe I'll show you all one week. I don't know. Real cheesy. Uh, but the point is like, hey, be like Daniel. Like he was really awesome. And that's good. Daniel was, was great. But this morning, I want us to not just dare to be Daniel. We have him showing up right here at the end of this passage. But I want, us to, I want to warn us that for most of our lives, we actually look like King Nebuchadnezzar. So I want to draw a parallel this morning to our type of idolatry, and the idolatry that King Neb had here. But before we do that, we've already seen two themes running through the book of Daniel, and we see them right here in this passage. We're going to build on these. Um, even this morning, as Haley looked at my notes, she said, wait, are these the right notes? Aren't these from a different week? I'm like, yeah, it's the same uh, terminology, the same verbiage. And so we're going to build on what we already know. The first thing that we learned a couple of weeks ago is this. The spirit of Babylon is a counterfeit to the kingdom of God. That's the first theme that we've seen, and it runs all throughout the book of Daniel. But the spirit of Babylon is a counterfeit to the kingdom of God. You see, God creates and Satan counterfeits. And we see it right here in these first 16 verses. We have the spirit-filled servants of God, and we have the magicians and the sorcerers, those of a pagan nation who are trying to tell the king the interpretation and the dream. Friend, listen. Counterfeit spirituality and paganism and philosophies, they will fail you when you need them most. Every false spirituality, it will always, every false religion will fail you when you need it most. Consider the, the leaders of those other faith systems. Buddha is in the ground, he's dead. Joseph Smith, he's dead. Muhammad is dead. The only leader, the only source of life for any sort of system of faith is that of Christianity because Jesus Christ is no longer dead. It has been defeated. And you will stand before Jesus. If you were in this room, if you, everybody within the sound of my voice, you will stand before Jesus. And anything that you have put your faith in besides Jesus will not work. It will fail you. Galatians chapter 2, verses 16 and 20, it says this. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by what? By faith in Christ, not by what we can do. We are justified by our faith in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, sorry, and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You don't look to these other false religions where their leaders are dead. You don't look in and of yourself. We'll see it next week, but in verse number 22 in Daniel's prayer, he actually says, these other guys, they're in darkness. 
There's no light within them. That's why we need a light coming in from somewhere else. Again, John chapter 1, we have that light. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's walking around in spiritual ignorance and darkness because he's looked in and of himself and he's looked at these false religions and they don't provide the answer. Galatians 2, in verse number 20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live is in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Friend, you will stand before Jesus. And if your faith is in anything else besides Jesus Christ, it will fail you. But if your faith is in Christ, you can be guaranteed of this promise that he loves you and his sacrifice is sufficient for you. The second theme that we've seen running throughout Daniel is that you cannot make a difference unless you are different. You cannot make a difference unless you are different. We saw that primarily last week as we looked at the second half of chapter one. If you look back at verse number 14 here in this passage, notice Daniel talks to Arioch privately. He goes to him, he says, hey, Arioch, can we, can we discuss this privately here real quick? You know, the whole me being torn limb from limb thing. Can we talk about that? Seems kind of like a big deal. Notice that he doesn't set up a public debate with Arioch and say, well, let me prove you wrong. I'm different and you're wrong and I'm right. And I'm trying to be different for Jesus. He doesn't go to some sort of social echo chamber and say, hey, everybody, look how wrong they are, right? Yeah, they're wrong. No, he goes to him privately. Now, I'm gonna set up a, a caricature of this person. This is a fictional person, but we all know this person. And for the sake of a, a visual this morning, we're going to, I guess we'll name her Karen, okay? So this is, this is Christian Karen this morning. And Christian Karen wants everyone to know what she believes. She takes a bold stand on her convictions. She thinks the greatest problem with Christianity is a bunch of spineless followers of Jesus. She wants everybody around her to know when she is right and when they are wrong. She's black and white. There's no middle ground with Karen. Now, is what she's saying right? Sure, because it's the truth. And she can quote the Bible verses. And she knows all the right things to say. She knows all the right arguments. But here's the thing with Karen, is that Karen doesn't have that many friends. Karen has been passed over for job promotions. And even in a couple of uh, jobs, she's been kind of slowly, softly pushed out of her job. She's not very much what we would say a people person. Anybody know a person like, no, don't, look, and there's no nudging, there's no kicking, there's no texting, like, I know exactly who he's talking about. No, we, we all know this person. The problem with Karen is that she sees respect as a one-way street in her direction. She expects respect from everyone for her being different, but she offers respect to no one. And can I tell you this? The reason that Karen sets herself up as a martyr for Christ. Oh, I'm just being persecuted. I'm being pushed out of my job. I'm friendless because I'm taking a stand for Jesus. Can I tell you that in most instances, us being different is really us just being, sorry, not us, Christian Karen. My bad. I wasn't talking about any of y'all. Uh, uh, this is, this is a, a different state. Um, but when we, when we think about Christian Karen, she's actually not being persecuted for her beliefs, for her different beliefs. She's being persecuted because she's a turd. It's not because she's just different. Daniel didn't respect Nebuchadnezzar because he deserved it. Daniel respected Nebuchadnezzar because God commanded it. We saw this a couple weeks ago back in Jeremiah chapter 24 and chapter 29. What does he say? He says, go into exile, go into Babylon and what? Be different, take a stand, tell them where they're wrong, point a finger in there. No, he says, go and bless them. Go and build houses. Go and pray for them. Go and respect them. Go and love on them. The difference that we make, you cannot make a difference unless you, we don't be different. I mean, I'm just different. I'm just weird. I'm just mean. I'm just right. No. Our different is a love that does not come from us, 
but it is a love that comes from a gracious, everlasting Father. We express and we expose the heart of the Father to those around us. In a way, when they see it, they are drawn to it. That's what it means to be different. And South Point, this, this is for us. Our influence with people, listen, our influence with people will never be greater than our respect for those people. Our influence with people will never be greater than our respect for people. It will never be greater than our love for people. That's what we're commanded to do, even while we are in exile here when the spirit of Babylon is all around us, we are the people of God empowered with the spirit of God. And so may our words be seasoned with love and grace. May our desire for them, not for them to get it right, but for them to experience the righteousness of Christ. So those are the two themes that we've seen already. This morning, we're gonna add a third theme to that. And we've seen those two things here in this passage. The third theme is this that idolatry is treasuring something more than God. Idolatry, this is the third thing that we see running all throughout the book of Daniel. Idolatry is treasuring something more than God. Here's a quote by Tim Keller. He calls an idol this, it's something that we look to for things that only God can give. An idol is something that we look to for things that only God can give. You see, I told you earlier, we're drawing a parallel here between our lives, my life, your life, and the life and the perspective of King Neb. King Neb. Before we look at what does it mean there to be a Daniel, we gotta look at what does it mean to understand that most of us a lot of times are King Nebuchadnezzar. And every one of us is King Neb with a varying degree of success. We're all pursuing the very same life. Now, some of us, we will look at somebody like King Neb and we would say, man, a guy who wants to live in a nice house, a dude who wants to drive a nice chariot, this guy wants to have people bring him food to his house. This guy wants to live in comfort. This guy wants to have somebody read his mind. Yo, look at this mirror right here. Anybody? Look at this mirror. Hey, you know what I mean? Wait, welcome to Henry County. We all, like King Neb, we're pursuing all of those same things. The problem is we haven't attained those things, so we're like, I'm not as bad as him. But our heart is in the same place. And I want to break this down. We primarily have four idols at the heart of who we are. We see these idols show up all throughout the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. The first, the first idol is this. So we're going to have four of these, and each one of these has a question beside them. If you want to wait till the end to take a picture of the screen, you can. But the first idol is the idol of power. We see this with King Nebuchadnezzar. He's scared to death that someone is going to take his kingdom away from him. That scares him to death. In fact, the fact that his magicians and sorcerers and soothsayers and enchanters, they can't tell him to dream, he says, you know what? If you can't interpret the dream for me, then you are dead. I'm going, to, I'm going to slaughter you. What do we see in Matthew chapter 5, though? When someone gets in our way from us getting our kingdom, how do we respond to them? With anger. What were you going to say, Piper? She was going to say, were you going to say anger? Yeah, I knew it. Some good parenting, too. She raised her hand and waved at me. Uh, yeah, we respond with anger. What does Matthew 5 say? Jesus says what there about anger. If you are angry at someone, if you hate them, you have already killed them in your heart. So our anger is at the heart level the same as what Nebuchadnezzar was doing here in chapter 2. Here's the question that goes along with this. And I want you to take just a second. I'm, I don't want you to just write this down and take a picture of it. But I want you to think about it. You don't, you don't have to raise your hand and answer me. But think about this. What are you most afraid of losing? What are you most afraid of losing? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your 401k. Maybe it's some sort of status. 
there's a really good chance that whatever it is, is providing you with a source of power. And you are treasuring that thing more than God. The second thing that we see here in King Neb's life, and we see it in our lives as well, is approval. We see the idol of approval. His insecurity leads to unbearable and unceasing anxiety. The dude can't function. He can't sleep. He's going off on folks. He threatens to murder hundreds of his closest advisors. He can't handle it. He can't face the questions that are the, most, the greatest in all of life. He wants the approval of people. And when they can't approve of his dreams or approve of him, he's like, get out of my way. I need someone who's going to approve of me. Beloved, listen, whose approval are you seeking most? Whose approval are you seeking most? Because again, the kings that Neb was having, the dreams that King Neb was having, they had to do with some sort of future event. And they had to do with a message from the gods in his mind. So he was wondering, man, are the gods approving of me? Are they happy with me? Are they smiling toward me? Man, I'm so insecure that they're, they're not pleased with me. Here's maybe even a more poignant question than whose approval am I seeking? The question of who do you need to look at you and smile? Whose approval do you need, do you live for? I'm going to let that one sit for just a second. Whose approval are you living for? You long for their smiles so much. Maybe it's your spouse, your kids, your parents. Maybe it's someone who's not even alive anymore. Your friends. Maybe it's a caricature of someone. Maybe it's your boss. That's the idol of approval. The third idol that we see here in the life of King Neb, and I believe in ours also, is the idol of comfort. The idol of comfort. He had absolutely everything that he could have ever wanted. He had everything that we could have dreamed of. Hardly a day goes by in my home. My kids probably aren't as spiritual as yours. But hardly a day goes by in my home where I'm not being asked for something. Right? But so kids, just imagine for a minute, you didn't have to ask for anything. You already had it. That was life with King Neb. He had plenty of comfort, yet he was still stressed and sleepless. So the question for us, we're always longing for something else. The question beside comfort is, what do you long for most passionately? Or we could ask it this way. If I just had fill in the blank, then my life would be fulfilled. Then I would be satisfied. Kids, y'all can answer that question too, even as you're sitting there. Man, if I just had that Xbox controller. Man, if I just had a higher score. Man, if I just didn't have to go to school. Man, if I had better grades. Man, if I had better parents who always did what I wanted them to do. You with me? Piper's raising her hand again. I'm just kidding. She's <laughs> what do you need in order to be satisfied? The idol of comfort. Lastly, we see here the idol of control. The idol of control. And it's incredibly clear in King Neb's life, right? Incredibly clear. The spirit of Babylon is just as active today in 2022 as it was in Neb's day in his life. Consider how his anger boiled up and over for almost no reason besides a dream, a recurring dream. He wants control over absolutely every area of his life. And when he doesn't get it, he begins to kill people. How about, I mean, gosh, man, just look around. Were you, were you in traffic this past week? You're like, I would never act like King Neb. Really? Not even in traffic? That's, man, that, that one gets me. Not about when your spouse responded this way. Maybe in a, a, a meeting at work. I mean, we see it on the field. You couldn't watch a football game yesterday without some, 
almost everyone at some point just losing their minds out of anger for no reason. It just boils up and over because we want to be in control of absolutely every single situation. We see it on award shows. People just throwing punches like all over the place. Like it's all around us. The same spirit of Babylon promises that we can have control. And for when we don't, when those pagan ideologies fail us, we respond in anger and in hatred. The question with this, consider this. This past week, where did you want more control so life would be better? Man, I'm tempted to, for you to talk back to me. That would be so much fun. But then I have to talk to you. And I don't want to be honest. So. But this past week, where in your life did you want more control? Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a certain situation or circumstance in your home or with your neighbor or in a job. Can I tell you something? If you had control of every single area of your life, you would end up just like Neb. You would end up, we think, man, if I just had control, life would go so much better. If I could just control my kids, if I could just control my finances, if I could just control my wife's spending, if I could just control my husband's drinking habit, if I could just control something in and of myself or for someone else or for something else in my life, if I could just control those things, friend, you would end up just like King Neb. You would be rich and comfortable, but you would be devoid of the presence of God. You would be rich and comfortable, but devoid of the presence of God. And every single false God that we set up and that we run to, as soon as it fails us, we blame it and we replace it. Every single one. And I have some in this room who can attest to this. This past week, as I look at that board, every single one of those has been incredibly poignant to me. I was joking with somebody earlier, and I said, well, I, 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 went, to see, I went to counseling on Thursday um, morning, and then as soon as I did, I said, you know what? I'm writing the sermon for Sunday. That's it, because in my life, I messed up. I struggle with every single one of these idols in my life. I think that I can build my kingdom in just a way that someone else is going to look at it and say, good job. We smile. We approve. I think that through my own work and energy and power, I can determine the outcome of life. But I can't. And guess what? When I realize that I can't, when I realize that I am not strong enough and I do not have what it takes to give my own life purpose and significance and satisfaction and pleasure, I end up just like King Neb every single time. Sleepless, anxious, stressed. Why can't I make it work? I tried so hard. It was supposed to. I was in control of the situation. Man, why is somebody ruining my comfort? I thought I was all powerful, and when you mess with my power, you receive my fury and my anger. If I had my way in every single area of my life, here's what I've come to realize. Doesn't mean I'm going to be any different this week. This is a slow, gradual process. But if I had my way in every single area of my life, I would be miserable. And so would you. We can look at those in our culture. You can look at your own life and say, man, I wish I was that person. I wish I looked like that. I wish I had that money. I wish I had those skills or those abilities or that family or I lived there. Whatever it is, we've all got those things. But I was thinking this morning, I thought, who are the people that I really wish I was like? And we can look at all the movie stars and actors and athletes and all these people that we hold up on a pedestal. Can I tell you, friends, just think about the past couple of years. How many of them have taken their own lives? Think about how many of them are in the throes of divorce. The people that we're going to go watch on the screen today, this afternoon as we watch football, athletes, actors and actresses, the ones that we worship and we're like, man, they must have everything. They are not happy. They're miserable. They need something else. 
they need something more. I even think about, when I thought about that, I thought, well, good, they're, all, they're all a bunch of, uh, like, they, I wouldn't agree with them on anything else besides I want their money, look, success, and fame. But consider for a moment pastors. Consider pastors that we've seen in the past couple of years who've gotten into trouble because their church had reached just great heights. And I think, man, how awesome would it be to have a church of thousands of people every single week and people just love everything that I had to say, even if it was dumb. But even those guys, when they had all of those things, they're cheating on their wives. They're spending money in exorbitant ways. They're stealing from the church. They're addicted to alcohol or to pornography. All these things, it has not made them happy. And friend, it won't make you happy either. As soon as you have everything that you want, you'll realize that it has failed you and you will run to something else. But can I tell you this morning, even if and when all else fails you, you can still have the approval and the smile of God the Father. Remember we started with Daniel, chapter one. Can you imagine having a conversation with Daniel we did this in my life group. Maybe y'all could do this too. Having a conversation with Daniel and his three friends at the beginning of chapter one. Like, man, how's life, how's life going for you? Terrible. Absolutely the pits. Imagine having a conversation at the end of chapter one with them. Hey, you've been promoted. Like, you're a vegetarian. You're a eunuch. Like, some of the, you know, bad stuff. But, like, what's the conversation look like then? And they remain faithful because Yahweh, the one true God, has approved of them, and he smiles upon them. I don't know how you came in here this morning. You could have come in here, man, on, on cloud nine because life is just amazing, and it's just up and to the right for you. Sorry, this way. It's up and to the right for you. Like, it's just awesome. Can I tell you, it can never go high enough to bring eternal satisfaction. Maybe this morning you came in here just like, man, I'm in the pits. My, my spouse has left me or he or she wants to leave me. I don't have any money. I'm broke. My kids, I don't know if they're believers. This I'm stuck in this job. I've got all these different things. Can I tell you something? Even in the midst of that, you can still have the approval and smile of a father who loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to this world to identify with you. Remember I said that God creates and in the same way that God created you and knows what you need, knows what you need for satisfaction and purpose and meaning and significance in this life, for safety and security, he knows what you need even today on September, whatever it is, 25th, 2022. And in a way of extending his arms to you 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to identify with us in life. The only difference is that Jesus did not sin at all. But after 33 and a half years on this earth, he identified with us in, in taking our sin upon himself. He took the wrath of the Father on himself in his spirit. He took nails into his hands, a stake into his feet. He was beaten. He had a crown of thorns pushed down into his brow. His beard was pulled from his face. But then the Father turned his back on the Son. And communion was broken with the Father, which had been there before time even started. Then Jesus breathed his last and committed his spirit to the Father and said, man, I'm doing this because I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you. But that's not where the story ends. He gave his life so that we could experience life he rose back to life three days later, conquering an enemy that right now we're in the midst of his throes. We're under, to some degree, his power here while we're still on this earth. But we know that that enemy is going to be conquered and vanquished for all time. We don't have to give in to sin. We don't have to give in to idolatry. We don't have to give in to the spirit of Babylon because Jesus Christ rose back to life, conquering him forever. He spent about 40 days here on the earth, then he goes back up into heaven. Friend, this morning, he is making intercession for you before the Father. He's saying, she's mine. He's mine. He's mine. She's mine. And he is praying for you this morning. And I would plead with you this morning that you would put your faith in him. Surrender your life to him this morning. He has paid the price for you. 
And he says, take it here. All you have to do is accept it, receive it. By faith, this is my grace poured out to you. That's how we are brought into right relationship with the Father. That's how we are brought into right relationship with each other. We're going to celebrate a meal this morning. And I would plead with you, if you've never had put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, that you would fall upon his mercy this morning. There's no special prayer that you repeat these words and it's magical. No, but you can cry out to the Father. Even during this time of communion, you can cry out to him and tell him that you are tired of living for yourself and you want to surrender your life to him. This time of communion is a reminder for us. We call it communion because we all have the same need. Everybody in this room, our greatest need as a community, as we commune on the bread and the juice, which represent the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus Christ that makes us righteous, the common need that we have is that we need the presence of Jesus. That's our greatest need. And it has been provided in the sacrifice of Christ. It also means this, friend. While we can admit that we are still under the spirit of Babylon, we're reminded that we are fighting not with each other as family. We are fighting for each other. So as we partake of Jesus and his body and his blood, this representation here of his presence that is literally with us, may we be reminded we're doing this together as a family who loves each other. May we press on toward that kingdom. This time of communion is an invitation to us for repentance. Yet again, it's an invitation to worship. And it's an invitation wherever you are, however good life looks or however bad it is, it's an invitation into real, true life.